her marriage was fraying at the edges. She faced the reality of becoming the sole provider and the single parent to her two boys. And this is how Robin Frampton described her grief. I was there in chains. I felt like there was no hope for me. The flame that burned inside of me, it was taking its last breath. And uh, the way I would express my own grief over my dad's death was something like this. I would say, all meaning seemed drained from my life. There was once a spectrum of high definition colors, but now my life felt more like a slow motion black and white rerun. Have you felt grief? How would you put into words that grief that you experienced? A friend of mine who lost a child said it this way, it was like I couldn't breathe. I was constantly short of breath and it felt like my chest was permanently being stepped on by pain. And then there's Harry Potter. And Dumbledore expresses the grief that Harry is going to in this way. You care so much, you feel as though you will bleed to death with the pain of it. And then there's this beautiful moment in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus expresses his pain, his grief. And he describes it like this. I am like a mother who longs to provide care and protection for her young ones, but is denied. Grief upon grief. And we have a hard time as humans to put words to this grief, to explain it. So we use images like shackles and colorlessness and shortness of breath, bleeding to death, and a mother's concern. Because grief, if we define it with one another, is that emotional pain, the distress, or the loss that comes from change. So grief is about losing people that we love, but grief is also about any time we lose something, um, any time we go through change. Grief is fundamentally about the change in our life. So it's about that person, that relationship that we'd hoped for, but it's also about something that we'd hoped for that didn't come to fruition, that didn't happen. Any change that we encounter can trigger grief. And so we've been talking about our internals. And we've talked about love, and love is fundamentally about this trust within us. And we've talked about wonder, and wonder is about this attentiveness, this slowing down and imagining and looking at what's all around us. But grief, grief is an interesting internal because it's about rupture, because it's so personal to us. Something within us literally has to break so that something new can be built. So grief is unsettling to us as a conversation in our culture, but also just to talk about because it is the one internal that shatters our conscious and unconscious ideas about ourselves. Grief cuts to the core of who we are as people. Um, I remember asking my friend after she had finished her, her internships and her psychology degree, what is like the one problem of Americans? And I remember her saying, oh, it's easy. We don't know how to grieve. So grief, dealing with the changes that come at us again and again and again. Robin Frampton, who I told you her story at the beginning, she had moved with her two sons and her husband 
12 times in a number of 13 years. And this time they moved to Overland Park, Kansas. But this time Robin began to deal with those unsettling struggle inside her. The feeling that maybe, maybe this was the end of her marriage. She faced this reality and, and she also had to deal with the reality of her sons beginning to figure out why is dad gone all the time? And her sons battling with this anger over their dad. They were 10 years old and 12 year old at this time. And so what Robin did in her wisdom, in her mom wisdom is to take them into the forest. And so they would walk this nature hike together. And this, this funny way of just processing their grief along this trail, along the Tomahawk Creek Trail. They began to share the pain and the sorrow, the uncertainties that, that were headed their way. They began to um, express themselves over and over again. And, and, and they got to the core. They got to the heart of what it would be like what life might be like if dad isn't in their house and in their home anymore. What I find fascinating about grief is the Bible um, tells us that God grieves. And this is really astonishing, right? And in this place in the Bible, in Genesis 6, 6, it says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Isn't that so hard to hear, right? So God grieved in his heart. And then there's that other beautiful picture in um, John chapter 11 where Jesus cries that his friend Lazarus has died. And then in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, we see Jesus again looking out over Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross and he cries over the city of Jerusalem. He weeps for what this city could be and was not yet becoming. And so isn't it amazing that this internal reality of God, this eternal internal, that God grieves, that God weeps at the state of life. God weeps at the changes in humanity, just as we do. So what does it mean for us to engage the world with the same grief that Jesus did? What were the internal intentions of Jesus when he grieved for his friend, when he grieved for the city of Jerusalem? What does grief teach us about what it means for us to be human? So in the chapter six of the Bible, this shockingly strong passage, it comes, and what happens here is that we're only six, six chapters into this incredible God's story to us. But what happens, what starts as beautiful glory in a garden and creation and like birds are singing and creation is being bored, ends in Cain, one of God's created human beings, murdering Abel. So you have this incredible high and this incredible low in the biblical narrative. And then all of a sudden you have these words. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind and was, was great in the earth and that every inclination in the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So there's a murder that takes place in the Bible, Cain murdering his brother, and there's this crisis in the life and mind of God of, I created these humans for flourishing and for love, and they have chosen to thwart these divine intentions, this design that I created with this terrible rage and jealousy and envy, which ends in a murder. 
So God has to address this tragic thing from happening. So God says these words that this situation grieved his heart. And I think it's easy for us um, to look at this passage and think of, of God being sort of an angry tyrant, but there's more going on here. God can be more seen in this passage as a troubled parent, someone who is troubled over these behaviors of, of how our human hearts can just so rage with this fire. We have this desire and this restlessness within us. And when our restlessness and desire is sort of unchecked in community, we can do the most horrible things to one another, can't we? Plato said that we were born with a fire inside of us, an unquenchable fire. And Jesus and God, through this passage, addresses this fire. That there seems to be such a raging, burning power within humanity. And what, what I think is beautiful about this is that if God is this concerned, troubled parent over the actions of our human hearts, and if our hearts are these unquenchable fires at time, God invites us to realize the incredible internal power within us, the power to do good, not just the power to do harm. And so God grieves. God is frustrated with this tension within us to continually do evil instead of do great good with the human hearts and internal that we've been given. God grieves that the human potential within us is unused or misused or abused. God grieves the death in creation, that you were created for flourishing and that oftentimes we allow ourselves to be much less than we were created for. And then the second one, Jesus weeping at his friend Lazarus. This beautiful picture, Jesus shows up and is informed that his friend is dead and, and that he will never see the physical presence of his friend again. And so what does this teach us about Jesus' heart for humanity? It teaches us that, that it's okay to be human, that being human means we're frail and we make mistakes, that we're fragile, that we get sick. And Jesus grieves that our, our frailty as human beings at times. But then I think there's another level of this grief this sadness that Jesus expressed that isn't it a wonder that we get to live life? Isn't it a great, amazing thing that we have these beating hearts and get to live with one another um, in this world? So Jesus expresses this sadness that this human frailty that led to his friend's Lazarus death, but also through this grief honors the life that he lived and is able to touch on the gift, the beauty of being human, this sort of beautiful tragedy of it all. So God grieves. And then the last one, Jesus is looking over Jerusalem and he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Now, this is, um, this is what, what happens in the Bible all the time is prophets weep over the city of Jerusalem because this city had like high expectations for it. It was supposed to be the city that blessed the world, the city that showed the world what the love of God could look like in tangible forms. And so... The passage reads like this. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. So Jesus is about to head that dusty road to the cross and he looks out at Jerusalem and sees the city and weeps for it. For all its hopes and all its expectations and all the way that what was going to happen in three days was another murder. And so again, this crisis in the life of God, 
that there's a murder in the beginning, there's rage, there's jealousy, and then there's going to be a murder once again. Instead of being a part of the movement of inclusive love to the world, the people become a part of this murder, this death, this anti-flourishing almost. And God grieves. God grieves the way our hearts don't become, our internals don't become all that they are created to be. And so um, I love what um, psychologists Elizabeth, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler teach us about grief. They teach us that grief is the process of denial and anger and bargaining and depression and acceptance that leads you to the decisive choice if you will become someone new. Because grief is such a rupture to our souls. Grief is such a changing moment within all of our hearts that it asks us, who will we become? Grief invites us to decide not only who will we become, but what our future will look like. It is literally soul transforming of our insides. And so Kubler-Ross and David Kessler remind us, of course, that we all go through these stages. Everyone is different. It goes through them at different times. There's no sort of mechanicalness about this, but we go through these when we grieve. And Whitney Herman taught me a fantastic thing um, that she believes that it was Jesus had to go through these processes of grief as well. So as Jesus went to the cross, he had to experience everything that it meant to be human, the denial, the anger, the bargaining, the depression, and the acceptance that finally led to a change. So, so I think um, I might be like suggesting a heresy here today that God himself had to walk through the process of grief just like us. And that God had this crisis in his being deciding of what, what do I do with humanity and all this murder and havoc and, and um, unsettledness, this anxiousness that reigns within our hearts. And so Jesus models for us this beautiful pattern of grief, of taking that dusty road down the cross, of, of grieving through the cross, this horrific, horrible death, and coming out of the other side of new life. And what this teaches us is, is a powerful way of God making new life. So out of this human condition, out of the grief we experience, we are invited to shape our lives off of this story, the story of death and new life. The story that if we're going to truly grieve, we have to recognize that parts of us need to die so that new parts and a new story and a new future can be born. And that's not so easy all the time, is it? I remember in Toy Story 3, you remember Woody and crew, Woody, there's a snake in my boots, right? And, and Lotso, do you remember Lotso, the cuddly, big stuffed animal bear who was sort of like the, the caretaker of the daycare center? And remember Lotso? Lotso, he had a grief too. He was abandoned uh, by his owner. And so that made Lotso hard and mean. And he hid that facade and allowed the toys, the new toys to be put in, in, in the bad kids room, right? And, uh, and, but what we learn about Lotso is, see, Lotso, he wasn't able to take that journey of grief and he let it callous him and he let it um, make him a new person in a very bad way, right? In a way that was bitter and angry and held on to all that abandonment and fear. And, and so Jesus invites us to make the change in an opposite way, to walk the journey of the cross the journey of authentic human being, of naming our stresses, our pains, our troubles, and opening ourselves to the new life that God 
brings to us. I love uh, this theologian says this, that God has run the risk of the relative in incarnation, passion, and death. So God's way of, these are like theological terms of saying that God could have, in this crisis of grief, God could have chosen another way to be God, to be a creator, right? To be, um, to be outside of us, to look inside the world. But God chooses this encounter that's personal, that's communal. So we have this picture of God of incarnation and passion and death. God has run the risk of a relative. So God has allowed God's self to be contingent and frail and human in this grief. It echoes within our hearts. It allows us to have an eternal internal. And so this explains the incredible chorus line of beautiful verses that God has chosen with God's grief to be something very new to humanity, to be a steadfast advocate of human flourishing. So God says to you and to me and to all of us in our grief and in our pain, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. With verses like this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So in the process of grief, when God sees our human hearts that have this, this fire to them, God comes nearer. God steps closer. God doesn't stop shaping and forming and breathing new life into the new creation that is you and that is me. And other verses like this, and the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we all have received grace upon grace. So God responds to this crisis by offering more love, more transformative love for the human race. And then this verse, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Her marriage was fraying at the edges. She faced the reality of becoming the sole provider and the single parent for her boys. She took her sons to Tomahawk Creek Trail and it's there that they first had this simple idea. They began building ferry and gnome doors. They called it the Firefly Forest. They took their grief and began to express it and make something of it for others. They understood that grief was changing something within them and this, and this was opening a new future to them. They didn't know this now, but the forest captured the imagination of other families. Thousands of people began to walk this trail and to see these little gnome and fairy homes that they had made. They, they made these beautiful doors and put them all throughout the forest. And what people started to do just in reaction to this little fairyland forest they made, they started to write notes to the fairies. So some notes were just notes of, um, thank you for doing something nice with our trail. And other notes were, um, I'm going through a really hard time right now and walking through this trail and seeing these gnome and fairy homes has brought me hope, thank you. And then there was another note. This note came from Kyle, Kelly, and Evie Fisher. They left a note of remembrance for their three-year-old daughter, Allie Little Al Fisher, who died of a rare brain cancer at age three. And when the Framptons um, 
Robin, Parker, and Tyler received this note. They decided we are going to make little Al Alley her own fairy land on this um, trailhead. And so as you can see, they made this door and they inside it, they actually carved these out. It's so beautiful. And people put little trinkets of hope and letters of hope and notes of hope. And so they made um, little Al in the firefly forest for this. And the Fisher family had a place to come and to grieve their daughter along this little trail. Isn't that wonderful? The process of grief and what it can do to make us new people, to give us new futures with one another. When you grieve, you are walking the same road as Jesus. Through this painful process, many things will die inside of you, but many things will be brought to new life. You are becoming someone new, someone with a different future. The eternal, internal is growing within you. So I want to invite you this morning just to kneel your hands with me in prayer. And we've heard it um, in our prayer time, and I've heard it just in uh, the stories of all the people of Wildflower. The, the amazing amount of grief that we all carry is often overwhelming. The painful losses of our past, and also the, the changes that we didn't expect, that we didn't know about, and I want to invite you, if you feel comfortable in this space, just to let your palms out, palms up. And maybe just in the quiet of your own heart, you can say yes to the journey of grief, to all its unknowns. You can say yes to the God who has grieved for you and with you. And you can remind yourself that in this community, in this place, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to walk that lonely road because you are not alone. And all this pain and all this sorrow will one day be made new. And you're eternal, internal, will burst with joy and delight because something new is being made within you. Take one last breath of me. Amen.